Hello, welcome to another special edition of Spirited. Today is our second Scripture Sunday. Um, I'm just going to share a little bit about uh, some Bible uh, that has been on my heart, and I hope it means something to you. Um, so the past few weeks, my boys have been really into the story of Jonah, um, and it, it kind of comes and goes. We have the VeggieTales Jonah movie that we used to watch on repeat, and they go through phases. So we haven't watched it in a while, but it we have the Jesus Storybook Bible that we read to them before bed, and um, it has pictures of big uh, fish and boats and stuff. So they have been loving it and requesting that story um, over and over again. And so that has been um, forcibly on my mind the past uh, week or two. And, um, and the story of Jonah always kind of fascinates me when I have read it myself. I mean, I grew up hearing the story of Jonah, but when I actually like sit down and read it, um, it, it always stands out to me because I feel like I am Jonah. Um, and that's a really haunting feeling and a very convicting feeling. Um, but in addition to Jonah, I also think about Luke 15 and the story of the prodigal son, but not actually because of the prodigal son. Um, I think about the older brother in that story um, because I, I relate to both of them. Um, and so I've been thinking a lot about these stories. Um, so I'm going to read Jonah 1 and summarize the rest. Um, this is the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, from the She Reads Truth Study Bible. All right, this is Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, of Nineveh and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. My gosh, how many times are they going to make me say it? From the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots, then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots, and the lot singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business, and where are you from? What is your country, and what people are you from? He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, What is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you so the sea will come down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I am to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. 
So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life, and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you please. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then the rest of the story goes um, in Jonah, or in chapter 2, Jonah repents and he prays um, and worships God and his sovereignty. Um, and then at the very end of chapter 2, it says the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And then chapter 3, Jonah goes to Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria, and he preaches... Um, he preaches what God told him to preach that um, against their sin, that they needed to repent or God was going to destroy them. Um, and that's exactly what Nineveh did. They um, repented. Everybody went into a fast, including animals. Like people were not allowed to let their animals eat or drink. Um, the king was in ash or ash cloth. Is that what it's called? Um, something like that. Sackcloth. Um, and then... Chapter 4 is the last chapter. Um, Jonah got angry. Um, I, I'm just going to read chapter 4. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled towards Tarsh toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. He said, It's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, this is the second time, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals? And then it's over. It, it just stops right there. And there's no resolution. There's no finale there's nothing to tell us what happens next and the story is just so captivating to me for multiple reasons because in the same four chapters I learned so much about God and I learned so much about myself um something a while ago I learned um that I in all my years of growing up in church I never heard before um that the bible this may seem really obvious to some of you so i apologize but for me it was kind of mind-blowing 
the entire Bible is telling the story of Jesus. Um, and so when you, when you try to read the Old Testament, you're still supposed to look for Jesus because he's there in the story, um, pointing you towards him. And so a lot of times in the Old Testament, it feels very disconnected or feels very, um, unlike the New Testament, but all of it is pointing to Jesus. The Old Testament shows us the, the process of sin and, and our need for a savior. And then the New Testament is, is Jesus coming and him saving us from our sins. And then, and what that looks like for us now that he has ascended into heaven. And so that's all this cohesive story pointing to Jesus. And so even in the Old Testament, um, we can find Jesus and we can see evidence of him. We can see foreshadowing of him and prophecy of him. So I see Jesus in this story. I learn ab about God and Jesus and I learn about myself. Um, chapter one, where it talks about the word of the Lord came to Jonah and get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Um, something that I didn't really think about until recently is the fact that that Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, which is not a Hebrew nation. So even in the Old Testament, God is advocating for the salvation of Gentiles, which is just mind-blowing to me because it seems as though, and a lot of times we hear that, that God... Um, only cares about his people. And then there's even contention in some of the disciples of Jesus and um, for a while where they didn't think that the gospel should be shared to Gentiles. And, um, and that, got, that got cleared up. <laughs> it, go read, um, I think it's Acts, where Peter um, gets called out for that. <laughs> But, um, but here in the Old Testament, we are seeing before Jesus even comes that he wants and is fighting for the salvation of Gentiles. He's burdened by the sinfulness of Gentiles, um, which just shows his, his heart for people and his love for his, for not only his people, but all people. And then, um... So Jonah flees. He, he doesn't want salvation to be given to people not like him. He doesn't want to aid in pe bad people receiving grace and salvation because it's not fair. So he runs away and God throws this storm um, as he's running away, and it says, Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. So if you're familiar with Christianity and the Bible, this probably sounds very familiar. If you're not familiar with it, there's a story in one of the Gospels where the disciples and Jesus were on a boat crossing um, the sea, I think. I don't remember which one, if it was a lake or the Sea of Galilee, I don't really remember. Um, but they're crossing a body of water and this huge storm comes and Jesus is in 
the basement of this ship sound asleep. And the disciples are freaking out and they go down and wake him up. Like, how are you asleep? And that's exactly what happens here in Jonah. Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. And it's funny because in the New Testament, when this story is happening with Jesus and his disciples, the disciples are like, do you want us to die? And Jesus gets up and is like, oh, you have little faith. And he goes and he immediately calms the storm. And, and then, you know, in the story of Jonah, they're going back and forth trying to figure out what, who's wrong and they find out it's Jonah. And so he, um, in this storm, as they are figuring out how Jonah has disobeyed and betrayed God, they are faced with the realness and the vastness and the mightiness of God and of Jonah's God. Even though it's in perilous times, they are struck with the reality of Jonah's God. And so as they are throwing Jonah over the boat to calm the storm, they pray to Jonah's God, please, Lord, don't let us perish. Don't charge us with innocent blood. They called him Lord. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And so even in Jonah's rebellion, God uses that for the salvation of people. Jonah's racism, Jonah's prejudice, Jonah's pride caused him to flee the call of God. Yet even in his flight, in the midst of a damaging and frightful and deadly storm, God uses even that situation to save people, to reveal himself to people, which is just so beautiful that even in my failure, even in my rebellion, even in me not wanting to listen and obey the call of God, God can still use where I'm at to save people. And then it says, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, does that sound familiar to you? <laughs> Jesus, when he died for our salvation, when he died and took on our sin, he was in a tomb for three days and three nights before he resurrected. And so I just love this very clear picture for us that Jesus is the better Jonah. Jesus is the fulfillment of what Jonah couldn't be. Um, and so in this story, in, in seeing myself as the selfish, prideful, racist, arrogant person that doesn't want or doesn't think it's fair that bad people could get the same salvation that I have, I am, I'm seeing Jesus in this story. These small little details are pointing me to a familiar story that I know so that I can see Jesus here and I can learn more about who he is 
and who God is and his heart for salvation for people. And so then we move on and we go to chapter four. So we're skipping forward. Jonah gets thrown out of the fish. He goes and he preaches the word. He has repented. And then Nineveh repents. Jonah doesn't get to see the, the fury and the justice of God in the way that he thought he would. And I just find this, this verse, chapter 4, verse 2, so eye-opening and convicting. And he says, he prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. I find this verse so captivating because it's not like Jonah's confused about who God is. It seems like he's very aware of the goodness and graciousness and love of God. And that's precisely why he didn't want to go preach to Nineveh. Because he knew that God would forgive them. He knew that God wouldn't condemn them if they repented. And it's so interesting to me that like, you can know God so well in your knowledge an intimate understanding of him can cause you to rebel because of your own sin. It's interesting because in the New Testament, I believe it's Paul, I could be wrong, that um, says it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. And when we are aware of our own sin, it's his goodness that draws us to him. But here, it seems to me like Jonah's not aware of his own sin. He considers himself righteous. He's very aware and preoccupied by the sins of Nineveh and the Assyrian people. Because historically, the sins were very great and very nasty and awful. But it's, it's just an interesting thing to think about that it's because of his understanding of God's grace and goodness and love that would cause him to not want to obey. And then right after that, the Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? Wow. That, in one soft question, God is like, who do you think you are? Is it right for you to be angry? And then he gives Jonah a visual and explains it at the end after he asks again, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh? which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. So he's like, why are you angry 
about this plant? Why are you angry about these people? You didn't create them. Why am I not allowed to care about these people? And it's just so convicting to me in this time that we're living in that I could know God intimately. I could know his goodness and his love and I could still be afraid of the salvation and freedom of people that I could be so selfish that I wanted salvation to myself that I would not have the understanding that God is allowed to save whomever he wants to save because he created all people. And so that's what makes me think about Luke 15 with the story of the older brother. Because as the story goes, the younger brother, so there's a father, a very wealthy father. He has two sons. The younger son asked his father for his inheritance early. Usually they would get their inheritance um, when the father died, but he asked for it early. And so the father gives the inheritance to both sons, what they would have gotten when he died. And the younger, the younger brother goes off, lives a crazy wild life, blows all his money, finds himself impoverished, the land's in a famine, he isn't even allowed to eat from the pig trough of the pigs that he's taking care of. And he's like, it would be better for me if I was a servant in my own father's house than to die here. And so he goes back to his father's house. And this is such one of the most famous passages of scripture, I would argue, or well-known. Um, and while the, father, while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him and he ran after him. And he immediately... I'm paraphrasing, just so you know. And he hugs him and is like, get the finest robe, get my ring. And and he has his servants like prepare this huge party and, and kills the a calf that they were raising. And he wants to celebrate his son's return. And it's this joyous moment where you see grace and you see love. And and then it says, Luke 15, chapter, or chapter 15, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he, the older brother, became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat. So I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he, the father, said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And the story ends. And so like Jonah, there's no resolution here. We don't know if the older brother went in to celebrate his brother's return or not. And in the same way that I identify with Jonah, I identify with this older brother here because I was saved when I was a little girl, very little, when I was four. 
And so I have dealt with this feeling growing up where it's like, I've never left you. I've never gone and done these things. I've been with you and obeyed you and listened to you. And you've never done any of this for me. Why are you putting out all the stops for them when they've trashed your name, when they've disgraced you, they've taken advantage of you and they come to you and it's like, they, it seems like they matter more than me. And I'm just, I've been, I've heard sermons on this in the past that have just kind of rocked my world. And thinking about God, the Father's response, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. I think there's, it's very easy to take for granted when you're in proximity to God, when you're in relationship with him. It's very easy to not see the luxuries that you have when you're with him that you could only notice when they're absent when you're far from him and so I'm sure there's a multitude of things and blessings or spared heartache or experiences that I will never fully be able to appreciate because I have been with the father the whole time I have had access to him I have had access to his blessings where it feels like it's not as special, but there's a consistency and a dependency, and there's never been a void. There's never been a lacking of his availability. And so when I think of these two stories, I see very clearly God's goodness, his unmerited grace for sinful people. In Jonah's story, he's before Jesus even came, he was he was seeking the salvation of Gentiles. And he was showing his love not only to the Ninevites, but also to Jonah. He spared him. He could have killed him for his disobedience and he gave him another chance. And at the end, Jonah is angry because the Ninevites didn't deserve God's salvation. And in Luke 15 with the prodigal son, the older brother didn't want to celebrate his younger brother's salvation because it wasn't fair because he had been a good old boy the whole time. And why should the younger brother get celebrated for wising up and coming home when he shouldn't have left in the first place. I'm the one that did the right thing. I stayed. And so in this time that we're living in where there's just so much sin, so much pain and heartache, I'm praying to not be Jonah and the older brother. I'm praying to see the heart of God and to be an advocate for the salvation of people that don't deserve it. Because the only way that I can believe in the salvation of other people is if I first acknowledge that I don't deserve salvation either. But if I don't deserve salvation because I am sinful and I have been given the gift of salvation, then who am I to stop or be angry when other people are given the same gift of salvation. 
And so I'm praying for humility. I'm praying for wisdom. I'm praying to see all people as created by God and for God's purpose and glory. And I'm just so thankful that Jesus is the better Jonah and the better older brother. That he isn't bitter, that we have received the inheritance designed for him. That we are receiving praise and salvation that we did not earn or deserve, but that he won for us. I'm just so humbled by these stories and convicted. I think it's something that I will constantly be reminded of throughout my life because it's really easy to be Jonah and the older brother. I'm praying for God to continually reveal himself in his heart to me so that I can rejoice with the salvation of sinful people and be intentionally advocating and seeking out opportunities to share the gospel with people um, instead of being upset that others are given the same thing as me. It reminds me there's a there's a parable in the New Testament in one of the gospels that where Jesus talks about workers and there are um, workers that show up at the beginning of the day and they uh, negotiate a wage for their day's work. And, um, and so they work all day and, and partway through the day, another worker comes and, um, and then later in the day, another worker comes and, um, at the end of the day, they all line up to get their wages and everybody gets the same wage, the same price. And the people, the worker that was there at the beginning of the day was upset because he's like, I worked longer. Why am I getting paid the same as them? And the, and the owner or the farmer, whoever's in charge in the story is like, you agreed to this price. It's no, and I'm paraphrasing, there's, it's no skin off your back if I am giving the same price to people that worked less. Like, it doesn't affect you because you agreed to this price. If I'm losing money because they di- I didn't get as much work for the money, then that's on me, but that doesn't affect you. And so that parable also is convicting for me because I see myself as, as someone that, as the first worker where it's like, I've been working this whole time. Why do others that get saved later in their life or on their deathbed get the same salvation as me? And I'm very humbled by the parable and his response because it's like, what does it matter to you? You got the price. You got your wage. You got saved. What does it matter if I... Uh, let others have the same thing as you. And so I have been very impacted by all of these stories. And I'm just grateful for the grace and the love of God. And I've been so much more aware this year than ever of the glory of the gospel and of the joy of the gospel. I hope that this has um, given you something to think about. I think right now we all could benefit 
from humility and from trying to see people how God sees them, whether we think they're deserving or not. Um, so yeah, this is my second scripture Sunday. I hope that today has been or will be a great day, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, and I will talk to you soon.